This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Wednesday, March 11th, 2020. On this day in 2011, 29-year-old Brittany Norwood murdered her co-worker, 30-year-old Jaina Murray. Their place of business? Lululemon, the athletic apparel store. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Nate Hale, host of the podcast, The Conspirators. Every other week, Nate examines a strange but true tale from history, ranging from the dark to the tragic to the simply inexplicable. Equally mysterious is Nate himself, I'm told Nate Hale is a pseudonym. It is. Hello, everyone, and thank you for having me, Vanessa. Of course. I'm so glad you're joining me. Nate's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of today's story, while I'll cover the narrative. I'm excited to dive in. Today's tragic killing has come to be known as the Lululemon Murder, named after the Bethesda, Maryland store where the crime took place. Let's go back to the night of March 11th, 2011, around 10 p.m. Just minutes after closing up for the night, Jaina Murray was contacted by her co-worker, Brittany Norwood, asking if they could meet back at the store. Norwood had forgotten her wallet inside. According to WTOP News, Jaina apparently did find this somewhat suspicious. She'd caught Brittany stealing from the store earlier that night and therefore knew she had criminal inclinations. She mentioned this when a friend contacted her to cancel their evening plans. The friend texted her back with a playful, hope you survived. This was a tragic bit of irony. The friend had no idea how poignant that text would soon be. The Lululemon was situated in an upscale outdoor shopping mall next to an Apple store where workers were also closing up for the night. It emptied out directly onto the street, with cars parked in front and traffic coming and going. As she hopped out of her car and headed towards her workplace, Jaina could be forgiven for thinking that this was an unlikely spot for a murder. Inside, she encountered Brittany, whose opening moves are unknown. Only one of the women would survive this encounter, and she would not be forthcoming with details. At some point, Brittany maneuvered Jaina toward the back of the store, where she lashed out with a weapon. Later, police would find blood on a hammer, knife, wrench, rope, and box cutter. Jaina defended herself initially, though for some reason she was not able to escape the store. 
Her wounds may have been too painful, too debilitating, but she didn't go down quickly, as evidenced by the multiple murder weapons. Brittany continued to assault her, hitting her on the arms and head. Jaina begged her to stop, saying, talk to me, don't do this, talk to me, what's going on? Next door, the Apple Store employees could hear this and wrote it off as simple workplace drama that they didn't want to involve themselves in. But while that first line might have been easy to dismiss, the second piece of dialogue that resounded through the walls was a more egregious thing to ignore. God help me, please help me. Back in the Lululemon, Brittany's continued assault of Jaina reached a bloody crescendo. She cycled through the various murder weapons, none of them apparently doing enough to finish the job. But finally, a blow to the back of Jaina's head reached her brain and ended her life. From here, Brittany went about covering up her crime though it's unclear exactly when she did what. We know for certain that at some point she moved Jaina's car down the block. This would prove to be her undoing, as she left traces of both her own and Jaina's blood in the vehicle. Back inside, she trashed the store, or at least further trashed it beyond what had already happened in the struggle. Displays were knocked over, merchandise was strewn about, she moved to the registers, removing all of the cash to make it seem like the store had been robbed. She was wearing men's shoes, leaving footprints in an attempt to make it seem like a man had attacked Jaina. Brittany then injured herself, slashing her arms and stomach to make it appear that she had also been attacked. Then she tied herself up in the bathroom. Again, some of this timeline is difficult to pin down. Brittany was the only survivor from the incident, and she didn't provide many details during her trial, so we have to guess at how fast some of this happened. The actual murder would have been relatively quick. One judge would later speculate that it lasted about eight minutes, based on the whopping 331 wounds on Jaina's body. A small portion of the night, but an agonizing amount of time for Jaina, who almost certainly suffered. Beyond that, however, it's hard to say. Brittany may have spent hours staging the scene, or she may have finished her work quickly, then laid on the bathroom floor all night. Brittany's state of mind throughout all of this is also hard to guess at, and indeed would become central to the trial. It would soon be up to a jury to decide how much of her crime was premeditated and how much occurred in the moment. As March 11th turned into March 12th, Brittany awaited the arrival of police. She had no idea at the time, but she had done more than simply end an innocent life. She had ruined her own. Next, we'll discuss the investigation and trial. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On March 11, 2011, Lululemon employee Brittany Norwood brutally murdered her co-worker, Jaina Murray. My guest host, Nate Hale, is going to take over from here to discuss the details of Jaina's murder and the investigation that followed. Thanks, Vanessa. Brittany attempted to make the whole crime look like a robbery. But within just a day of investigating, police spotted several discrepancies between her story and the physical evidence. For one, Jaina was so horrifically beaten and stabbed that the crime seemed more personal than a typical robbery gone wrong. It was equally strange that Brittany's own wounds were so superficial. Detective Dimitri Ravine noted that all of the murder weapons, and even the zip tie that was used to bind Brittany, came from inside of the store. It was rare that robbers or criminals of any kind would arrive at a store without weapons of their own. No one plans a crime and just expects that everything they'll need will be on hand at the location. The shoe prints at the store were indeed from a male shoe, but those shoes were found on site. Again, criminals don't just take off their shoes and leave them at the crime scene. And finally, the detail that was most suspicious was the fact that Jaina's car had been moved down the street and blood from both her and Brittany was inside. This is when Brittany's story started to crack. As police interrogated her, they asked her why her blood was in the car. She admitted to moving it, saying that the assailants had forced her to move the car from the front of the store. They then asked her why at that point she didn't run. Why didn't she just drive away and call the police? She could only reply that she was scared. Brittany was arrested on March 18th, just a week following the murder. Her guilt was never truly in question, though she herself would never fully confess to the crime. Her defense, however, did operate from the position that she was guilty, but that she committed the crime in the moment. The matter of motive was tricky. One of Jaina's other co-workers claimed that she had spoken with Jaina that night, and that this is when Jaina explained that she had caught Brittany stealing. It's clear then that Brittany might have feared that Jaina could have lost her the job or even exposed her to criminal repercussions. But that doesn't quite explain the absolutely brutal nature of the killing. And of course, logically, killing Jaina wouldn't have necessarily covered up Brittany's theft. Perhaps there was a deeper hatred at play, some aspect of the relationship between the two that will never be unearthed. But such an evil, illogical act doesn't require a comprehensible, logical motive. Ultimately, Jaina's phone call with her co-worker wasn't even admitted as evidence. With Jaina dead, the judge considered it hearsay. So motive was never firmly established. Regardless, the prosecution could at least prove that the attack was premeditated. Luring Jaina back to the store, bringing the oversized shoes, and of course, attempting to cover the whole thing up all spoke to a crime that had been thought out, if not particularly well. In January 2012, Brittany Norwood was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The judge pointed to the fact that she had shown little remorse until the day of sentencing. 
He was also moved by testimony from eight of Jaina's family members and friends, and by the fact that the Apple employees had heard her screaming, but had done nothing. It was a horrible tragedy from every angle. Nearly 10 years later, Jaina's family continues to raise money through a foundation to award scholarships in Jaina's honor. She left behind two parents, multiple siblings, and a soon-to-be fiance. Brittany, meanwhile, appealed her sentence, claiming that the police had not read her her Miranda rights. But she had not even been under arrest through most of the questioning. And so in April 2015, her appeal was denied. She will die in prison. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again to Nate Hale for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcast by Googling The Conspirators or searching wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the crimes committed in the throes of passion, listen to ParCast Original, Crimes of Passion. Today in True Crime is a ParCast Original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Greg Castro, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa Richardson